This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to In the Workplace on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again are Professor Peter Capelli and Dan O'Mara. Hey, folks, welcome back. I'm Peter Capelli. I'm Dan O'Mara. Uh, I sometimes wonder what we would do if, um, if they said here again and we're not here. You know? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but who are you? Say what you do. I'm a professor here at the Wharton School. And I'm a partner at Ogletree Deacons. Also a shareholder, and, I hear. And an adjunct faculty here at the Wharton, at the Wharton School. School. There you go. Uh, in this half hour of the show, we are actually talking about executive compensation. There's nothing more interesting than people to talk about money. And um, we're going to talk about changes in the tax law some of which are pretty surprising. I'm I'm kind of surprised how many people um, report that, gee, I didn't know that when something, you know, the changes in the tax law that people did, were not paying attention to. Yep. Uh, some of which affect pay in a big way. But let me ask you, Dan, when you hear the phrase executive compensation, what, what comes to mind? Oh, a whole, like, legions of <laughs> consultants who are paid a lot of money to tell executives <laughs> that they're underpaid. <laughs> Oh, I wasn't supposed to say that out <laughs> yeah. loud. Yeah, probably not. Um, that's been an interesting topic because there is some research looking at that, looking at uh, the pay of executives as a function of who their consultants are. Uh, but it has been an explosion of executive consultants, uh, compensation consultants for executive pay because the boards need their own consultants now. So the firm... The so-called ComCom? Is that what it's called, so-called? I, I thought you taught me that term, the Did Compensation I? Committee. Oh. The ComCom. ComCom, okay. Um, the board needs their own consultants, and they have to be different from the consultants of the company. So it's led to an explosion of smaller boutique executive compensation mm -hmm. companies because the big companies that do compensation consulting... Uh, do lots of it for firms. They do it for all employees, and they might do it for the executives as well at that firm. Mm -hmm. But then the board wants a second opinion, so they need a different compensation consulting company. So it has been a full employment plan for uh, consultants, which is a great thing if you're in that business. We'll find out more about it in a minute. Also, in the legal world, there are executive compensation specialists because right? there's this whole maze oh, of yeah. technical executive comp rules. Right. The old right. 409A, you know what I mean? Yeah. 280G. Oh, yeah. Basically, hmm. a series of rules with very stiff consequences. If you get them wrong. If you get them wrong. Oh, like yeah. Um, 409A has to do yeah. with uh, bad timing of severance payments, and it's a 20% excise tax Ooh. on the executive, not on the company, but on the executive. So you pay your usual taxes, say 35 40%, then you pay another 20% if you get it wrong. That leaves a mark. Yeah, it uh, creates motivation to yeah. bring in skilled professionals at the get-go to, to steer around those, because there's really stupid rules, if you right. ask me. Yeah. Well, I think executive compensation is something that has become a hot topic in the last 20 years. You know, mm -hmm. I remember 30 years ago, nobody talked about yeah. executive compensation. And uh, 40, 50 years ago, it was pretty much just a salary. And the salaries weren't that big. In those days, uh, the big deal in executive compensation was perks. You got the country club membership. Car. You got the car. You got uh, use of the company jet. You got... Um, expense accounts and all kinds of other memberships and things to all kinds of places. The perks were extravagant. Uh, the pay was not extravagant. 
And we'll talk about when it changed, but it changed in the 1990s. And it was not about um, salary. The change came with stock-based yeah, compensation. Yeah. And the reason was a change in the tax law. Oh, did and not know that. The change in the tax law was an effort by Democrats to kind of shame companies into paying – shame companies who they thought were overpaying their executives. Mm -hmm. So they made any salaries over a million dollars no longer tax deductible for the firms, right? And, you know, if you're a huge corporation, you know, you might say, so what? It was supposed to be kind of the embarrassment factor. Yeah. But what it led to was a shift in compensation toward contingent pay, contingent on performance mm – -hmm. <clears throat> rather than salary, and particularly based on stock. And in the 1990s, the U.S. stock market roared ahead. Yes. And so if you had stock-based compensation in the 1990s, you made a fortune. So suddenly executive compensation was at a huge new level, even though it was not because of salary. It was because of stock. But nevertheless, it was up there. Well, also, isn't it easier sell for board of directors or others to justify huge compensation if it's stock-based because they sure. say, hey, shareholders, yep. that executive only makes money if you make money. Yep. And right. I think there's plenty of studies that say when you tie the executive's compensation to the stock price, the stock price goes up, for yeah. better or for worse. Yeah, The and the question, of course, is how do you design those stock options, right? Yeah. What price do they pay off? What price do you have to buy them at, for example? You know, it's possible to make money off stock options when the stocks themselves don't go up at all, depending on how you price them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, it's it's certainly not a perfect solution. Anyway, we got a new tax law, as you probably know, a new budget with a whole new set of taxes and tax law. You probably heard the taxes have been cut on corporations, and that's true. Uh, you probably also have heard that individual tax rates are down a bit. At the top, I think they've gone down from 39% to 37%, which is something. It's not enormous drop, but it's something. But there's a whole bunch of changes within there that I bet you don't know about unless you're a tax lawyer. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on, and we're going to find out what it is. And with this is Amy Jennings, who's a partner of Executive Compensation Practice of the Radner Company, which I believe is part of Aon. We'll hear about that in a minute. And Amanda Benincasa, who's the Associate Director of Aon Equity Services. They're in different cities, and they're going to talk to us about what's new as a result of the tax law. So, Amy, Amanda, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, Amy, let's find out where you are. Uh, I am located in Chicago. Okay. Um, and have been doing executive compensation consulting for about 20 years okay. now. Yeah. So times nicely with where you, you saw change happening. Okay, good. Uh, um, it changed when you got there. Huh? It changed when I got there, right? Good timing. Um, good timing. And, uh, yep, have been working with Radford specializing in industry verticals. And Radford is owned by Aon, right? That's correct. Okay. And, Amanda, where are you sitting? I'm in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Okay, and today you're in New York, I hear. Is that right? <laughs> today I am in New mm -hmm. York, yes. I, I travel quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I've been with Aon Equity Consulting for roughly uh, a year, so a okay. little bit less tenured. However, I came from 
the corporate equity accounting side. So I have a uh-huh. little bit of a flip side view uh-huh. on things from the client perspective uh-huh. as well. Okay. Uh, so let me ask a, a question first before we get into the details of this plan. Were you folks expecting, was anybody expecting the changes that, that came out of this? Because the whole process was pretty opaque, right? Uh, Amy, what were you thinking or what did you hear when when this started? Was there any word that executive compensation was going to be played around with in the new tax law? You know, we have heard for a few years um, the buzz that was that, um, you know, it was it was likely possible with tax reform, and we heard this a few years ago, uh, that some of the deferred tax arrangements or uh, 162M uh, could potentially go away, that it, it was something that, um, you know, both parties were in favor of doing. So, so we've heard that buzz for a few years, and okay. as a result, as we've worked with clients, you know, the last few years, we um, just had that, that back of our mind on advising on deferred comp arrangements. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I would say uh, the initial draft of the bill when it first came out and, you know, there, there was, it was a little bit of a roller coaster ride in December as we were watching the different versions come out. But I think we ended up where, um, you know, we kind of thought things might be. Right. And uh, Amanda, were you surprised uh, by where the bill came out? There's I must say I was because I thought uh, Republican bill, Republican Congress, this will all be very friendly to executives. Were you surprised by what came out of this? Um, so I, I think the initial bill in its draft form, when it first came out of the House, I was extraordinarily surprised, hmm. specifically because it um, would have pretty much done away with non-qualified compensa- uh, deferred compensation. Okay, can so you tell, t- tell out- listeners what that is? Because most sure, of us don't sure. know. Um, so when you look at deferred compensation, you're looking at um, a stock option or anything that has to be deferred in order to get any benefit out of it. Okay. So what would have happened is, is stock options would have been done away with. Um, 409A would have been done away with, which wow. is that deferral of, of yeah. taxation. Wow. Um, hmm. I'm, I wasn't entirely surprised when the bill came to fruition, um, the approved and signed bill, hmm. only because I think that some of the 162M, um, getting rid of that and getting rid of the tax deduction for performance awards was was largely offset by the reduction in corporate tax rates. Uh-huh. So I, yeah. I wasn't entirely surprised when it came out the way it did. Um, okay. But I think still it came as a surprise to a lot of people and a lot of clients as well. Yeah, I wonder if the uh, in the House, whether the House bill that did that would have been an um, amazing change, right, to get rid of stock options and deferred compensation stuff. I wonder if they did that knowing that the Senate was never going to approve it, you know. Uh, that's my, my little bet. Anyway, let's get into the weeds here a little bit and talk about some of the things in this tax bill and, and what it changes. And... Amy, uh, maybe we could start with you. Let's talk about typical public corporations here. Um, what changes about executive compensation for these folks? Well, so that, you know, that's an interesting question. While um, they're, for the named executive officer, so that's your CEO, CFO, and the other three highly paid executives in the organization, okay. you can no longer deduct compensation over a million dollars. Okay. So there is a loss of a tax benefit to the organization. So there was an immediate um, curiosity or thought, is this going to do away with performance-based compensation? And the, and the reality is no. Hmm. And investors still expect executives 
to have a per heavy amount of their compensation okay. performance-based. Can, can I just stop you on that for a second? So does this mean any compensation of any kind over a million dollars is now subject to this 21% excise tax? Uh, there's not an excise tax, but it's not deductible. It's not deductible. Oh, oh, oh I see. Right, it, right. It amounts to an excise right. tax on the company. Yeah. Uh, but any this is true of any compensation, even stock options. That is correct. Wow. wow that's yeah. big. That is a big change, yeah. Hmm. So, okay. so we don't, but so while the, the uh, companies have lost the deductibility, um, they certainly gained an offset in the lowering of the corporate tax rate. Uh, we don't expect to see companies completely overhaul yeah. their programs because yeah. there still is, um, I mean, there still is expectation from shareholders and institutional investors that. Uh, executives are going to be aligned, their pay is going to yeah. be aligned to performance. So we I'll, don't expect to see a big overhaul yeah. and change on program design. Although, let's just be clear about this uh, and, and to be anti-high pay for executives. Uh, alignment and the level of pay are two different things, right? So you could have pay that is aligned with performance and not pay them tons of money. Um, this is really a penalty on paying them tons of money, right? And so I think the question is, do you think this was kind of a name and shame kind of thing, like trying to persuade them not to pay executives so much? Or was there another reason that I'm missing as to why they were doing this? Um, I, you know, I'm not. my view is I'm not sure if it was as much name and shame. I think we feel... CEO pay ratio may more fall into that category. Um, So I I don't see that as much here. I I think, um, you know, and I'll be curious to hear Amanda's thoughts as well on this, but I just, I don't think we feel that um, the overall program design that we expect to see in corporate America is going to change a lot as a result of this. I think what can change is the way the goals are set on specific earnings metrics because companies now have to wrestle with we are going from a corporate effective tax rate of 35% down to 21%. Yep. And what does that what does that do to how we are setting our goals? And is there an inadvertent pop-up that we're going to get? And how do we manage that? Mm, okay. Um, maybe we could figure out what that is in a second. But turn to Amanda and maybe ask her the ask her for her thoughts about that. And Amanda, could you also tell us about this pay ratio thing, which is the wild, maybe the wildest thing in the tax law? Sure. So um, I think to to address first, if it's a name or shame um, situation, I also agree with Amy. I don't, I don't foresee it as that type of consequence because um, we've studied some of uh, some assumptions and some blanket um, analyses. And we've looked at companies, uh, the amount that they deduct for performance awards, which is largely impacted by this tax reform because they won't be deductible anymore for their covered employees under 162M. Okay. And we've compared that to the change in the the corporate tax rate. And, you know, there's a lot of assuming going on here, but when you look at it on a very basic um, measure, it, it looks like a wash. So I don't really foresee that being the end goal well, of okay, it. Well, can I just stop you on that? A wash means that the company overall is not um, worse off on this, right? That's the that's the story? 
Right. And I think that, you know, there's always going to be exceptions to that rule. And and like I said, this is a a study that was done based on the assumption that all companies are going from 35 to 21, which isn't true because effective tax rates can be much lower than that. Um, But it it is still the case that compensation over a million bucks starts costing them more than it would otherwise. Correct. 100% correct. So let's Um, let's talk about the pay ratio thing, which is the wildest thing. So tell us what that one is about. I'm really, I'd be surprised if many people are paying attention to this one. Sure. Um, I think that when it came out as as a proposal for this uh, year, people thought it was going to get thrown out and then it wasn't. So tell us what it is. Sure. So what ends up happening is a company has to disclose um, the CEO's pay in comparison to the median employee's pay in the company as a ratio. Okay. So what it'll do is call out uh, discrepancies in in the CEO's pay versus most of the employees. Um, Where where I see some some problems with this is mostly in, in look at the retail space where the majority of the employees that you have are part-time employees, maybe younger employees. Mm -hmm. Um, The median pay of retail employees is going to be very, very low in Mm -hmm. comparison to the CEO. So I think when we look at this ratio and and when everybody scrambled to kind of do the ratio at the end of the year, um, it's important to to communicate it and and frame it correctly so that people really understand what it's saying. Yeah. But... But that's the the end goal of let's, it, is, uh, to, is to see this. Yeah, let's ask people uh, what they think about this. And just before we do this, let me just remind folks we're talking to Amy Jennings and Amanda Benicasa from Aon and the Radner Group within Aon about the tax law and the changes in compensation, executive compensation associated with this. But I got a question for you, and that is – for folks who are listening, and if you're listening on Thursday, we're live. Do you care about this? It, so from now on, if you're a public company, you have to report how much more your CEO is making than the median employee in the firm, right? So um, that number is going to be big, right? It's going to be hundreds of times uh, in almost all firms. Do you care about that? Here's our number, one eight four four wharton That's one eight four four. Nine four two seven eight six six. Would it matter to you? Let me ask Dan. Do you care? You gonna care? No, because I assume no. it's going to be hundreds. But yeah, some people will care. Liberal activists will use mm-hmm. it. Uh, um, they may try to run numbers periodically to say where the ratio is biggest. The stock performs more poorly. Yep. And uh, I think the more interesting thing will be, as Amanda was saying, not comparing company in one industry to another, but comparing companies in the same industry, yeah. right? It's more fair comparison. Target to Walmart, that sort of thing, but, right? But Amy and Amanda, let me ask you this. In terms of developing these numbers, is, is the median employee, is it of everyone who's issued a W-2? There, there are some exceptions to the rule, um, and, and they get really, really in the weeds. Yeah. So. You can look at contractors. Um, you can look at W-2 employees. You can exclude, um, I think, up to 2%, Amy, correct me if I'm wrong, of the population if it's in a specific com- country that's lower paid. Oh, yeah. Um, so, there- yeah. International company, right? Yeah. Sure. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. So yes. there's a lot of nuances that work with it. And I think that's what's really important about communicating what the number is made up of so that yeah. people don't start comparing themselves to the median and 
getting upset about it. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking of the company with high turnover. You know, a lot of people work partial years. So, they're, of course, they're going to have lower W-2s. Yeah, but that right. might be something you care about, right, particularly over time. Sal's calling from New Jersey on this. Sal, what are you thinking? Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, so about the ratio pay, I think it is important. Uh, okay. And that's something that I, I think I would care about. I okay. think that needs to be really front and center because while, while I, I understand that it's skewed, it just represents the, the disparity of, of pay. It really, it really does. And, mm-hmm. and it's all, you know, again, the, the numbers are going to be hundreds of times, but at yep. least it'll be hundreds of times across the board. Mm-hmm. And it would be something to look at and say, well, you know, what's the moral compass of this guy versus this guy or yep. this gal versus this mm-hmm. gal? And then mm-hmm. it's just my opinion on it. Yeah. So it it uh, it it kind of brings it front and center. If you're worried about inequality in the country, poof. Um, um, there so, Sal, you like Ben and Jerry's ice cream? <laughs> does, does it, um, they, my, do I, I think Ben and like Jerry's had a pretty strict policy that no did. one at the company yeah. would make more than a certain ratio of the uh, yeah. lowest paid employee or maybe they the did. median employee. I think it was like nine times. Of course, that was about a generation ago. <laughs> yeah. So we're not exactly on top of the <laughs> They gave up on here. that policy. They huh? did give up. They, they sold to... Um, uh, Pillsbury, I think. Okay. Hagenjoss, yeah, right. Uh, Sal, thanks for that. Let's hear what John is uh, thinking about this in Georgia. Um, uh, John, it sounds like maybe you got a slightly different question, but a good one. So what are you thinking? Uh, my question is about executive compensation. Yeah. And, and as it relates to foregoing executive compensation for restricted stock units or performance stock units. Ooh. And how one would go about that if they, in fact, pose that to the compensation committee or to the board, okay. um, what what would be the appropriate exchange, if you will, if you're talking about exchanging dollars for those units? I know it's not one-to-one, but you wouldn't want to, you would want to do something fair in terms of, um, because you're taking some chance there, but what would be the proper thing to ask for as it relates to performance or restricted restricted stock units okay. for every dollar? Wish I had an executive comp consultant. Oh, wait, we do. Uh, we have two here. <laughs> Amy, you want to take a shot at this? Sure. So just just to rephrase, um, you're you're wondering about what's the appropriate exchange to use if you're uh, proposing options versus full value shares versus full value shares with a performance condition. Is that correct? Yeah. If you're if you're going to completely forego compensation, everything, bonus, everything, and you want to forego that uh, in lieu of uh, performance or restricted stock units, um, what would what would be the proper ratio to ask for in terms of stock units? Uh, in lieu of dollars, okay. what is the ratio? Yeah, so let me just add, uh, for listeners who aren't on top of this stuff, so let's say I'm paid a million dollars in salary, and I go to my compensation committee and say, I give up the million, I want stock. And how do you think about the the um, exchange ratio, right? So, Amy, how do you think about that question? Um, so we would, we would advise that it's probably um, – not in the best interest from a risk perspective to take all of your compensation and equity. But but just to help answer the question, I mean, there are organizations that would say um, we want to encourage employees to have more stock, and as a result, if you take some of your cash bonus in stock or defer some of your base salary into stock, we're going to give you a kicker on it, and to your point that there's more risk involved, and it's generally in the neighborhood of 20 to 25%. So if you're willing to forego... 50% of your cash bonus and put it into stock, you're going to get 25% more. 
Oh, so if you give up a million dollars in salary, you should expect to get one point two five million dollars in uh, stock options. That's a rough. That's a rough guidepost. I okay. would say. I think any every situation is different. Okay. Hmm. Um, but, you know, so we have seen some organizations do that. But I, I think the majority of companies would say we're not looking to encourage compensation programs that are 100 yep. percent equity yeah. okay. based. We, we certainly want a mix to satisfy different elements of what we need to drive. Yeah. yeah. To get okay. more practical application of what Peter's saying, if somebody's making half a million a year and says, uh, let's let's put more at risk, cut me from from five hundred thousand down to four hundred thousand. I'm taking a hundred thousand dollar pay cut. How much equity should I get? What you're saying is uh, equity that's probably going to be worth 120 to 125 thousand, probably. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Boom. John, thanks for that. Let's uh, see if we can move on. We got just a few more minutes, and there are some cooler things in the tax law here. Cool if you're interested in tax law. One of them is that now some of these conditions apply to nonprofits, right? Um, maybe Amanda, tell us what's going on with the tax law and the pay for nonprofit employees. Sure. So nonprofit employees um, typically don't fall under the same exact uh, guidelines as public corporations and for-profit corporations. So with public corporations, we see Internal Revenue Code Section 162M that covers the top five employees of the company. Um, With this tax reform for nonprofit companies, that same top five people, um, yeah. although they're a little bit differently defined, are now, if they are paid in excess of $1 million, they're subject to an excise tax of 21%. Okay. So it's hmm. kind of equalizing the nonprofits with the for-profit. Yeah. Uh, and the reason that is interesting is because pay in these nonprofits, including universities, has been inching up, inching up, inching up. Um, well, I shouldn't say inching. It's been going up pretty fast. And, right. And so, and it's not... Uh, stock options either, right? It's all, it's effectively all cash, right? Uh, so university presidents, for example, foundation presidents, um, the heads of big uh, organizations like museums and things often make over a million dollars now. So it's a big change in that one. Uh, what else are we seeing? Uh, Amy or Amanda, either one can jump in. Uh, what are we seeing that's big changes? We missed anything on the big uh, big change list here. So this is Amanda. I think one thing that we're dealing with, um, specifically because we work in equity, is for any, typically with a performance award, you see a multi-year goal. So you'll see a three-year, for example, uh, net income goal for executives to be able to vest to their awards, which means they'll get the benefit of that award. So if their base year, if this is a 2016 grant that was based on a 35% tax rate and the deductibility of these performance awards, the base year of this calculation isn't going to be equal to the three-year end calculation of the same exact metric. So Mm -hmm. we're seeing a lot of companies looking at their metrics and saying, we've got some artificial growth here. We need to adjust our awards for this and adjust our payout schedules. Mm -hmm. And I think that's maybe the the thing that it's the trickle-down effect, right, where things seemed very clear at the beginning, and now it's trickling down to the bottom okay. of, of all of the calculations, and it's a um, very jarring thing for a lot of companies right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, surprising one. Uh, Amanda, maybe I ask you a last question here. Uh, a lot of people are speculating about what happens in legislation if, let's say, the House of Representatives flips 
from Republican to Democrat in the elections in November. Are you getting a, any sense about whether the Democrats have a different view about executive compensation that they want to go after? What are you hearing? I, there's honestly not a lot of chatter as far as um, what I'm reading about it. Okay. Hmm. I'd be very interested to see if things do flip, but I also don't know if Amy has a different perspective from the broader executive comp side. Yeah, Amy, what do you know? What do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, I would agree with you. I think uh, just to the earlier question that came up of was this a surprise, I mean, it was our, uh, you know, the chatter or feedback we had heard is that both parties were pretty aligned on having some impact to executive compensation mm-hmm. and that the Republicans were likely willing to trade away some things. Um, and so so in my view, I'm, I'm with Amanda. I'm, I'm not sure we'd see significant change if we see a party change. Interesting. Uh, you know, it's interesting first that we get this uh, this kind of name and shame ratio thing, right? But also that there's probably not any real appetite about doing anything about it by either party. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Cool. Thank you very much, ladies. Amy Jennings, Amanda Benincasa, uh, both with Aon. Uh, and a pleasure to have you folks with us talking about executive compensation. We're going to take a break now. We're going to come back. And this time, for sure, we're going to talk about algorithmic management and... Dan? A lot of fascinating stuff, including yeah. more tax law. More tax law. Woohoo! Hang in there. We'll be right back with you. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.